Hello and welcome to Goblet of Wine, a drunken Harry Potter podcast. I'm Charlie. And I'm Hannah. And we're two 20-somethings rereading our favourite childhood book, but this time with added alcohol and cynicism. This episode, you'll get to know us and we'll read chapters one and two of The Philosopher's Stone. So grab some alcohol and join us on this reminiscent journey. everyone and welcome to the first episode of Goblet of Wine, a drunken Harry Potter podcast. Today we are drinking not wine, um, we probably won't be drinking wine for many podcasts. Today we are in fact drinking a flavoured vodka of Charlie's. So which Basically <laughs> there's two lies already beginning with this podcast because not only are we not drinking wine, mostly because I don't like wine. I love wine, I am an early wine mom, like and I have to say yeah. mom in an American accent but I mm-hmm. am a wine mom. See I'm really not I'm a great disappointment to my own wine mum. I don't like I don't like wine. Um, but the second lie is that we're drinking allegedly Swedish vodka. So it's Sved Svedka? Svedka. Svedka strawberry lemonade vodka, which to if anyone's listening to this, any Americans, is probably very normal, but this is American vodka, but Swedish vodka, but brought in America and then brought over to England. And so, in England we have very boring alcoholic drinks, so this is exciting. We just have vodka, and particularly us two, we just have Tesco value vodka. But this is very fancy vodka, but the lie about it is that it says that it's Swedish vodka, but then they've tried to make the flag on it very aesthetic by making it match the bottle. So they've made the Swedish flag red, which just makes it the Denmark flag. And this is very off topic, so let's get back to Harry Potter. Back Although Harry this Potter. is a drunken podcast, we are meant to be talking about Harry Potter. Yes. So to summarise, we're drinking drinking strawberry lemonade vodka and talking about the first two chapters of Harry Potter and the sorceress. No, no, story. don't even try to justify saying sorcerers. No, as I'm somebody, not. as people, two people who grew up in Great Britain, um, who Mediocre were some of the Britain. first. Okay. <laughs> Hashtag Brexit. Hashtag Brexit. Who were some of the first people to read Harry Potter? We read it before it came to America and before it got renamed. We have a lot of. If you're dyslexic like me, listen to Stephen Fry read it. The beautiful voice of Stephen Fry, not Jim Dale. Sorry to offend you. We've already switched off all American listeners. Um, Bye. We have a lot of issues with it being called Sorcerer's Stone rather than. Correct. Now, I've heard that they changed it because they didn't think the word philosopher would translate to an American audience. But what frustrates me is it isn't a made up word. Philosopher's Stone is something in history. Is it? Did you not know this? No. So the Philosopher's Stone is a real thing. And Nicholas Flamel is a real person. What? Oh my god, how did you not know this? Is this actually a surprise? Genuinely. Are you putting this on? No, genuinely. I feel like a fake fan. Oh my god. The Philosopher's Stone is a real... Well, okay, so it never got invented. But the alchemists at the time, and when I say at the time, we're talking like... I will have to fact check this, but 1400s. Wanted to find or make a stone that would turn any metal into gold. The live forever bit is a bit of a exaggeration, but they they did think they could find a stone that could turn any metal into gold, and they called it the Philosopher's Stone. And a famous alchemist at the time was great. His grave is in the History of Magic tour in uh, the British Library that was on last year. His his headstone. (laughs) My mind is genuinely blown, but also, like. 
it's you know it's well known that jk rowling borrows from all kinds of mythology and history and stuff so i don't know why my mind is blown but i just like but that's most it's not even a borrow she was literally lifting from real life history at that point but this is what annoys me about the changing from um philosopher to sorcerer is the fact that the philosopher's stone is a real piece of history and the sorcerer's stone is just a made-up piece of nonsense. And I feel so bad because I know all Americans were raised on the Sorcerer's Stone and it's something I feel bad wrong. about. But you are wrong. <laughs> um, it is the Philosopher's Stone. And it's something I feel really strongly I about. I genuinely did not know that. I'm so glad I've brought a fact to you that you didn't Again. know. Before we start analysing the chapter, I wanted to ask you about your first experience reading or listening to yes. the book. Okay. So Charlie's going to go first. Okay, so... I don't have a lot of memory of this, so I did have to text my mum. Classic. Uh, to ask how as a family we got into Harry Potter, because Harry Potter has been like a large, large, large part of my family. Mm. Whenever a new book came out, it was my sister would get it first, and then either me... In the early days, my mum would get it first, because I was a dumb bitch that couldn't read. Uh, <laughs> and okay. we will be putting an explicit note on this podcast. Thank you for the first swear. <laughs> that was inevitable. Uh, <laughs> basically I was dyslexic so I couldn't read so my mum would then get the book but then in in the later books it would be my sister would get it then the next day when she finished it I would get Mm -hmm. it and then the next day when I finished it my mum would get it Mm -hmm. and then my dad uh, just wouldn't read them but he would always come to the films with us which when we were young and he was travelling a lot was like a huge huge deal to have my dad come with us to the cinema oh yeah we used to go I remember going to Chamber of Secrets when it came out as a four of us I don't remember many cinema and family like event days where we went yeah. as the four of us because my dad worked away a lot as well so yeah. that was it was such a big family deal for us yeah. it was a cultural like phenomenon yeah so when do you actually think you first read or listened to the book bearing in mind it got published in 1994 and you were born in 1994 I was at the end yeah so I can't remember I have a weird memory that I think might be a fake memory of being in primary school and seeing a film poster for the first Harry Potter film in my primary school the reason I think this is a fake Mm. memory is why the fuck would there be a film poster in my primary school because they thought it was... It was to get kids into reading. No, but like, At the time, they did really want people to get into Harry but Potter. But, like, not, like, in a classroom. On, like, the outside of the... Oh, no, that's a fake memory. You're that thinking, is a fake you're memory. You're thinking of a poster you saw in town and, like, transplanting it onto your school. Uh, yeah, I am. But but what I do know from texting my mum is that a childhood friend that we had called Michael, he was really into the books, mm. got my sister into the books, got me into the audiobooks but as for my first memory of harry potter i genuinely don't have one mm, for me it's, so it's early. always been there yeah it always has but for me it was always listening to the Stephen fry mm-hmm. audiobooks and i think it must have been at least the fourth book until i ever remotely attempted i think it was maybe the fifth book where i first attempted to read it for myself because and i that's was a big book to start with yeah like that's but, impressive but yeah but it's because i was dyslexic so I was a huge fan of all books, but particularly Harry Potter, and I always used to have to listen to them on audiobook. Mm. Um, So the early Harry Potter books, whenever they were released, it was a big torture for me because I would have to wait the queues in the library to get the audiobooks, and it would be like four weeks after my sister finished the book for me to get the audiobook to then listen to it. Um, And then when I was diagnosed at 10 as being dyslexic, I challenged myself. I was like, right, okay, I want to read the Harry Potter books. By the time that the final one comes out, I want to be able to read the final seventh book by myself. And I can't remember how many books we were in at the time. 
So I started reading from the first book and the first book I think took me six months to finish oh reading gosh. by myself, which is a very small book. Yes. Uh, and it took me six months of like solid. But if that's reading. the first book you've ever read, that's also an amazing experience. That, yeah, you that to was... have Harry Potter being the first full on book that you yourself yeah. feel motivated uh, to yeah. go. The and final read. book when it came out years later, I read in a night. That's amazing. That yeah. shows like your progression. Yeah, and I credit Harry Potter largely with being the thing that helped me with my dyslexia and helped me, I think within a year of being diagnosed, I caught up in terms of reading age with the entire rest of my class. Mm. And by the time I went to high school, so within two years of being diagnosed, I had overtaken the rest of my class in terms of reading age. And I credit it to Harry Potter. Emotional story time. <laughs> Thank you. That was very early for an emotional story. I just gave Charlie a sarcastic clap because I'm not very good at showing genuine emotion, but that is actually a really lovely story. So now, your question right back at you. What's your youngest memory of Harry Potter? So, I think my mum found out about the books through a review in a newspaper. I might have to fact check this with her, but I'm pretty sure she told me she found out about the Harry Potter books through an early review in a newspaper that said, you know, this is going to be... It was one of those reviews that at the time only Philosopher's Stone was out and it said something like, this is going to be the next Alice in Wonderland and it's appropriate for adults as well. Adults have got to read it as well. And my mum went out and bought the book and not only did she buy the book, she bought one of the original hard copies of Philosopher's Stone, which again, money, for, anyone money, that, money. for anyone that doesn't live in Britain, it's impressive to own a hardback edition of Philosopher's Stone with the original wizard on the back, not Dumbledore. I don't think I've ever even seen that. I. It's not a first edition. It's a okay. 16th printing, but it is an early edition hardback. So that shows how... Yeah. Early, my mum got into it. Oh, what and a what hipster. I remember, I know we are a hipster family. And what I remember is my mum and dad both both liked it, which was pretty like, wow. My mum and dad both reading this children and book. I, in all honesty, so, all of my earliest memories, I remember asking my mum if I could read the Harry Potter books. Yeah, Aww. because my parents were both reading them, and I was fascinated by the fact they were both reading this book that they told me was a children's book. So the first book was published in 1984, before I was. Born. I was born in early 1995. <gasps> yeah, because you're Gen Z. I, shh, I'm millennial. Um, you're I was, Gen Z. <laughs> I was born in early 1995. So by the time I was finally old enough to read them, I think for, uh, I think um, Prisoner of Azkaban was probably published. But mm. I've been begging my mum to read them f since as long as I can remember. And finally, when the audiobooks were done by Stephen Fry, which must have been when they gained some popularity for Stephen Fry to be able to narrate them. I'd yeah. have to actually look up when the audiobooks came out. My mum was like, great, okay, because your reading age probably isn't up to this point yet, four-year-old child, so here are the audiobooks. Mm -hmm. And my family used to go on um, holidays every summer where we'd drive. Um, we wouldn't get the plane, we'd always drive to somewhere like France, so we're talking a eight and 14-hour drive. So the only thing to keep me quiet was the Harry Potter, Stephen Fry audiobook. So we both got into it by listening to the audiobooks. Yeah. As a child, I was addicted to story audiobooks because of the amount we drove. And then I remember finally being old enough to read them probably around age five my mum let me read them i was quite advanced for my you reading had a age. solid five, five six years and i finished philosopher's stone when we got onto chamber of secrets i'll bring this up in more detail but i never finished reading chamber of secrets um before i went to see the film 
I think our friendship's over. I this know. is really awkward because we're like mid podcast, but like I know. that's not okay. Uh, to be fair, I got about three chapters from the end. And I will explain it okay. more. I'll explain it more in the okay. chamber of, when we start chamber of secrets. But wait. essentially, anticipation. Anticipation. Something happened. I stopped Even reading. Fry. And what was interesting was when I was rereading this chapter for the podcast. Did you hear it in Stephen Fry's voice as you were reading? Honestly, it? I was so deliriously tired. <laughs> because the later books, I definitely don't hear in Stephen Fry's yeah. voice. But the earlier books are ingrained you know into no. my memory in Stephen yeah, Fry's voice. Yeah, I think I do. I think the night when I read it this week, I was on about two hours sleep. Yeah. So I. I'm honestly, I don't remember. Uh, but yeah, no, definitely when I'm like reading it normally, I hear it in Stephen yeah. Fry's voice, which I'm not complaining. So that is a lot of introductory backstory to me and Charlie. You'll notice that we haven't told you which Hogwarts house we're in because we're saving that for the sorting chapter. But if we have enough listeners that would like to tell us what house they think we're going to be in. Um, I can't could- actually remember what house you are. Good. Um, you, it will all be revealed in the Sorting Hat chapter. But if by this point this podcast blows up by episode two or three, which it won't, um, <laughs> if anyone would like to guess... If we're famous by now. If anyone would like to guess what house we're in, we are on Twitter at Goblet of Wine. So Yay. let's actually get into the chapter. Yeah, that would help. So we start off through... Mr. Dursley's eyes. We do. And I actually have a point I would like to make about this. Straight away, let's go. Great. So we learn a few things about Mr. Dursley yeah. in the like first chapter, first, second chapter. So we learn that he has an office job, that he gets really irritated by all the people on the streets, mm-hmm. people bumping into him. Mm-hmm. You know, we know that he treats himself to a nice barn at lunchtime. We know that he spends basically the entire day thinking about a cat. And I just want to ask, when did I become Vernon Dursley? <laughs> So for more context on me and Charlie, we both work office jobs in um, marketing. I'm not going to say too much more than that. In London. Yeah, in London, marketing jobs. We both love our jobs and are very passionate about the subject we do it in. But there are the occasional moments where you sit back and think, how did I end up sitting in an office every day dreaming about cuddling cats? Yeah. And also, I spent three years living in Surrey for university. So I'm very concerned that I am Vernon Dursley. Maybe you are. I think I am. Oh my gosh. Do you, do you think about cats looking at maps all day and hate people who dress weirdly in the street and go and pop out for a bun? We know you pop out for a bun at lunchtime because we went out for lunch today and you bought a muffin. I got a, no, not a muffin, a donut. Oh, is yeah. it a donut? Yeah, yeah. Mm, From nice. Greg's. Nice, um, I got a sausage. Yeah. So the point I made about the book being introduced through Mr. Dursley is that it's interesting that the first introduction you have to Harry Potter is through a muggle's perspective. So basically I feel like what J.K. Rowling was trying to do was that you're being introduced to the world through a like a lens that you already know yeah like as someone who lives in the muggle worlds you're being introduced to the muggle world through you already know what happens you already if you're an adult whether you're a child you already go to school you already go to work you do these normal things and then she's peppering in little bits like but he saw some owls Mm. But he saw some people in cloaks and you're like well i can imagine that in my day-to-day life i can imagine one day walking into work and being like why is everyone dressed funny? So she doesn't... I think a lot of fantasy books like throw you into, here's all the magic and amazing. Whereas Harry Potter is actually rereading it. It's an incredibly slow build it's mundane. to the magic. It's very yeah. mundane at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. But I like that you just had this really like intelligent, like beautifully formed point. And I was essentially like, huh, I like buns and cats. <laughs> and yet... Our point's kind of the same. Yeah. When will this will this be a continuing theme of the podcast? I feel like it will. <laughs> okay. 
I have another point. So, one of the opening lines is, on this dull grey Tuesday, our story starts. Ah. And this is a fascinating line to me, because this is where I'm going to break into English language. I'm sorry. Oh, God. A dull grey Tuesday, our story starts, is the only chapter I can think of in all seven books, 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 That open on a Tuesday. No. (laughs) That breaks the fourth wall. So... That's true. To explain what I mean. The books are written from a, I'm going to check this again, third person limited view. No. So essentially it's not I and me, it's Harry did this, Harry did that. But the narrator isn't omnipotent. He can't see everything that's happening. I call him a he. I don't he know only why. tells us what's going on in Harry's head. Um, so it's quite an interesting narration point of view, which I actually hope I can keep on commenting on in future podcasts because there's moments where she breaks this limited narration that's very interesting because it's different to other books, the times where she chooses to break mm. it. But saying dull grey Tuesday morning, our story starts. She's the narrator is acknowledging that it's a story. Yeah. And there's no other point in the books where this is acknowledged as a story. And what that's implying is that by this point, Harry's story is already completed, as in the seventh book is already finished. And the narrator, mm. whoever this narrator is, is looking back on the entire thing. And what I found interesting is, I we all know that the first book is more whimsical than the rest of it, isn't it? Yeah. And the rest of them, isn't it? She she was going for a very whimsical thing and then she got more and mm. more kind of dark. Yeah. Um, and the first book is definitely more whimsical. And I think this kind of ties into that. She was kind of writing it as a much more fantasy story and started off with this line, the dull grey Tuesday, our story starts. She's choosing to acknowledge it as a fantasy story. Yeah. Whereas towards the end, it's much more like, gritty this could be something that's happening in real life this could be happening now it essentially turns into one giant metaphor exactly and i went and looked at the end of the seventh book and the end of the first book to check whether it broke the fourth wall again to finish the story and it doesn't so this is the only point in all seven books where it breaks the fourth wall and i found that fascinating that is very interesting so now let's Uh, move on to more um i have another question for you great on a slightly, this is something I personally believe. I want to know what your thoughts on it. Okay. I, with all my heart, believe that Vernon and Petunia Dursley is the greatest romance in the entire Harry Potter books. I wish you guys could see my face right now. Oh, you just want me to discuss this as a point? Discuss. Is it because they support each other no matter what? Essentially, yeah. Because yeah. when you think about how. And I want to say, I think that there is a Pottermore chapter on Vernon. There is. I've not read it. Oh, okay. I have, Um, but years ago. And I just think when you think about how strongly Vernon is anti, anti anything Mm. different, anything not normal. And at some point in their relationship, Petuna has had this... Petuna? Petunia. Petuna. Oh, it's the vodka. It's it's the weird... We said it was a drunk podcast. The weird Denmark, yet Swedish, strawberry lemonade vodka. Okay, Petunia. Petunia (laughs) has had to, like, sit down this very, like, straight-laced, traditional, anti-anything-different man and explain and somehow convince him that her sister is a witch and that magic is real and, and she convinced him without him walking out yeah and that he's not been like you freak you weirdo you're mental blah 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 like 
most men do that just from you being female. <laughs> oh no, she's expressed an opinion. You freak, get out. Exactly. Yep. Like, you we know, all know men like that. Crazy ex-girlfriend. <laughs> you know, the fact that he's actually accepted this about her and that this is real and stood by her and not seen her as weird or other or yeah. foreign or a freak must mean that behind how evil and horrible they are, there is an amazing romance there. I've never thought about it aloud. I've, I've never thought about it like that. And that is lovely. That is really lovely because I, we all vilify kind of the Dursleys because I can't imagine anyone I know whose nephew comes to them as an orphan and who doesn't at least care for them in a basic way. But yeah, there is love there and they love each other a lot. And you're right. Like, And when you see, when later you see vernon's sister marge and you understand his entire family is the way mm -hmm. he is for him to love petunia after she said my sister's a witch and they have a little wizard baby yeah it's incredible and also when that baby got dropped on the doorstep he could have left he could have and i'm not like exaggerating and being like oh he would have walked out he's still got a son you know we know what men can be like and Men what women shit. and what women can be like as well shit. but he stayed and that is quite impressive yeah see okay love story for the ages so we've basically gone through vernon dursley notices a cat goes to work notices some weird things going on and me. comes back home it's just me what i'm wondering is i have a question for you he sees lots of wizards on the street who are all celebrating they're on the street all day they're talking about harry potter They've known since midnight the news is broken that Voldemort is gone. Are all the wizards drunk? I have this written down just, literally as a sentence. Are all the wizards drunk? Yes. Great. Okay, moving on. Because it's important. Anyway, so then we move on to the introduction to McGonagall and Dumbledore. Yes. And I noted that it's a great introduction to McGonagall. So when we're introduced to her in school form, she's strict. We don't really get much of her funny side of her personality in the first book. But in this opening chapter, she sat on a wall all day as a cat. Dumbledore hasn't told her to be there. This is what I found interesting because I was thought, oh, maybe Dumbledore sent her. Rereading this, no, no, no. Dumbledore didn't expect mm -hmm. her to be there. So she's done it by herself, which means she heard about Lillian James, heard about what had happened, heard about where Harry might have been going and chose by herself to go sit on this wall all day and watch where Harry was going to end up. And doesn't that show so early on, like, yeah. the loving, yeah. amazing... McGonagall is a babe. Like, she's the best character. Yeah. And I didn't realise how amazing this introduction this is. This cat, rather than going out and partying, sat on a wall all day. <laughs> the cat partying. I meant McGonagall. <laughs> yeah. Rather than McGonagall going out and partying, she yeah. sat on a wall all day to watch where Lillian James's child would end up going because she loved Lillian James. She did. And this is like something that I made note on because when the first time you read this book or the first few times after when you're mm. reading it without having completed the series or even just without an adult reading, mm. like we're kind of doing now actually taking an adult considerate reading. Yeah. You read her finding out that Lillian James are dead and you kind of have no context on that. You just think, oh, there's some, you know, there's adult dead. Yeah, yeah, like they're adults that she knows, some adult couple that she knows and she's found out they're dead and, you know, they've mm. fought in a war with her and that's, that's all you know. Mm. And she's really sad about it. And, but that's all you know. Reading this back, you actually know that what she's hearing about is a couple of 21-year-old 
people, not adults, like 21 year olds. For seven years. Like they were her pupils. Yeah, she knew them. They were in her house since they were 11 years old. They were the head boy and girl. Oh my God, she must have been so proud of them. So she's met them as 11 year olds. They've grown up under her care, being in her house. She's watched their romance blossom. She's seen them grow up, grown together, join the order, have a child. And then they're 21, which me and Hannah- younger than us too. Yeah, we're 23. Like- it's, and it's, she's found out that a couple of 21-year-olds, which I'm sorry, is it's not adult. They're not adult. They're not adult. <laughs> they have a one-year-old child. They have a one-year... And she's found out that these people that she's known since they were 11 are dead. That's heartbreaking. And, like, I just can't... It, it completely makes sense why she sits on that wall all day. And yeah. what I'm shocked at is she's the only person that is there sitting on that wall. I guess not everyone would know the... I guess she was one, yeah, and I guess she's, because she's in the order, she's one of the only ones that would find this out, but she's just a fucking babe. She is. Okay, let's move on. Uh, So so then the Dursleys go to sleep and the narration, again, I'm switching back to narration point of view, the narration Mm -hmm. switches to Dumbledore mid-chapter. So Dumbledore appears on the street with the put-outer. Don't get me started. Now. What I found out recently from other Harry Potter podcasts is it's only called the Deluminator in book seven. Discuss. Okay, so I... Okay, this is something that I think, but I also have a point against it. I don't think that it's actually called the put-outer here, as in that is the name of the thing. Right. The only thing that goes against this is I think that it is capitalised in the book, which would suggest that it is the name. I, we might have to fact, I'm fact checking that now as Charlie continues to talk. Yeah, so I believe that it's capitalised, which would suggest it's the name. But to me, you know when you don't know what something's called and you're like, oh, uh, the thingy-majig, and you kind of describe it by what it it does. the first chapter is almost from a muggle point of view. Exactly. So of course it's the thing that puts out Yeah, the thing that put out. Like it just puts stuff out. I'm going to call it the put-outer because it's yeah. from a muggle narration. No, I understand that. So for me, it wasn't called the put-outer, like this is what this thing is called. It was called the put-outer because that's just what it did and it was like a very like reductionist point of view. The only thing that goes against that, I believe, is it? Cap- it is capitalised. It's capitalised, which would suggest that it is the name. It's one of these things where there's a lot, as we get into the later books, we'll discuss this, there's a lot of objects and items that become more important as the books go on. And the question is, how important... And characters. And the question is, how important did she know some of these things were? We'll talk about Horcruxes later on, but I don't think she thought in book one, oh, I'm going to bring the put-outer yeah. back. I think she pulled that out of her ass, to be honest. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, I do. And I just... So she changed the name to sound more interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's involvement in the seventh book. I think she was so used to doing, like, wonderfully poetic things where she would go back to some minor insignificant detail or object. Which and makes I... all fans go, Wee! which it did me at the time. I was like, oh my god, yeah. she's going back to this thing! And I think that's what she tried to do with the put-outer slash deluminator. Yes. But I don't think that the purpose that it served to Ron in the seventh book makes any kind of remote I mean, sense. we will talk about this in book seven, but it is a convenience plot point and a half. Yeah, but at the same time, I can understand why she to connect it because if it was like Ron suddenly magically had this thing that took him back I would have been like that's weak writing yeah so I understand why she did yeah yeah but 
I ain't buying it. Okay. So then Dumbledore sits on the wall and offers Professor McGonagall a sherbet lemon. And this is one of the points where you realise that book one is so much more fucking whimsical than the rest of the books. Like, there's all these things in book one. We'll get to the point of the speech in the Great Hall where he just says some, Dumbledore just says some random words. She was trying to make, oh, oh, wizards are random. They just say <laughs> silly funky. things. And that XD, 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 lol. Exactly. And that left about halfway through book two. But when he pulled out a sherbet lemon, I was just like, oh, I forgot how whimsical this book so is. So fucking whimsical. So then, um,. Professor McGonagall and Professor Dumbledore are talking to each other. Dumbledore is telling McGonagall that the Potters are dead. A point I had is, why are they calling each other Professor? There's a point where Maybe she... Maybe it's a kinky thing. Oh, dear God. No, he's gay. What are you... What? Bi people exist. She didn't say he was bi, but fine. She okay. also didn't say he was gay until after publication. That's true. Okay, we'll talk about that in later episodes as well. <laughs> yeah. But there's a point where she's upset where she calls him Albus, but the rest of the time they're calling each other Professor, which at this point, I think they've known each other around 40 years. I'm a bit worried about why they're calling each other Professor. It can only be a kinky thing. Okay, great. Let's move on. Okay, moving on. Um, it, Dumbledore explains that Voldemort has killed Lillian James, but Harry has lived and... McGonagall says the line, every child in our world will know his name. And I want to talk about that line. I feel like I can't stop you. I want you to talk about it as well, though. Do you think J.K. Rowling knew? Because that line, when you read it back, it still gives me chills because of the the amazing impact that Harry Potter had on my life and how far reaching it is. That line now is like, yeah. oh my gosh. Of course she didn't know. No, she didn't. She got endlessly rejected by publishers. But do you think she wrote that thinking... I've heard interviews where she said, I knew when I wrote that line that if it made... If it got published, it would go big. But I can't tell whether she... She's, she's just a cocky little that. shit then. <laughs> oh, like there's dear. any number of these like YA kids, young adult. Books, oh yeah, hundred percent. Like, I just find that line a cocky little shit. I just find that Come line really interesting. Okay, um, I'm not the biggest fan of J.K. Rowling, whereas I am quite a big fan of J.K. Rowling. So Let's we have differing to opinions. Settle this. We have different physical fisticuffs at dawn. We can't. They can't see. Podcast listeners can't see if we have a physical fight. Okay, if anyone listens to this, we'll set up a Patreon where you can sponsor us to physically fight. Great. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Here's a huge point I have. Mm-hmm. Dumbledore says Hagrid is arriving with Harry. It is around midnight on the 1st of October. Yep. Lily and James were killed at around midnight on the 31st of October. It's been 24 hours. Oh, Where God. the fuck has Harry been? Swaddled in Hagrid's arms. For 24 hours? Where has oh, Hagrid this been? This is such a good He's point. He's on a flying... It's been 24... This is something I only realised because I was analytically reading this chapter for this podcast. Where have I, they been? I need to see an entire film of this 24 hours. It could be a film. Like, a condensed 24 hours, like, Hagrid tries to <laughs> raise this fucking but baby. why was there a 24-hour gap... And what were they... I just don't understand if J.K. Rowling factored in this 24-hour gap. Okay, so it's 24 hours, but there's got to be a few hours between when they died and when Harry was 
picked up by Hagrid, picked of course. Up by Hagrid. But there can't be more than twelve because he would die. Like he's a baby. Yeah. And then a few hours. I mean, what I picked up when I read this was that they flew over Bristol. I was like, where the fuck were they coming from? Ah, I had to look this up because I had an argument with my boyfriend about like, it. Like fucking Bristol. So. Godric's Hollow is in the West Country, so around Cornwall, and they're flying to Surrey, so over Bristol does make sense. Does it? Yeah. But isn't Bristol above Surrey? Was Hagrid drunk? But anyway, flying on a magical motorbike, maybe it's a slow motorbike, but I'm worried about this 24 hour Basically, I'm worried about this 24 hour gap. And I, I wanted to know any opinions that you had on what was happening in this 24 hour gap. I honestly think that Hagrid was. Somewhere in a shack with Harry. A shack. Well, he lives in a shack. Attempting to take care of this baby, applying Mm -hmm. only parenting skills that he had picked up from some Care of Magical Creatures book. He essentially... I mean, it's a miracle he didn't chuck him in a fire like he would a baby. So Hagrid arrives, and he arrives on whose motorbike? Sirius Black. Sirius Black. And I realised this, not on this time reading it, but probably only on my 20th reread of it a couple of years ago, that Sirius Black is mentioned in chapter one. Yes, he is. And that's great. And I just want to point out that people say she didn't foreplan stuff, but there's definitely some element of foreplanning there. She, like anyone that says she didn't plan it is just wrong yeah serious she fact is mentioned right like, there i do think some stuff she grips too out of convenience but i think oh, the yeah. overarching plot like there's no denying like she sat down and she timelined the fuck out of this yeah and i'm impressed that serious as serious black's motorbike is mentioned in that chapter do mm-hmm. you have any more notes before i make another point about hagrid no go on okay hagrid is described as twice as tall and five times i as spent wide. so long picturing this thank you as a normal man now, I know Hagrid is meant to be big, but he's also meant to walk around Muggle London without anyone calling the police. Okay. I can picture I can only picture him as as big as he was depicted in the films. Yeah. Which is probably how big was he depicted in the films? Probably ten foot? Yeah, like kind of like one person and then another half of a person. So but like ten tw- foot. But twice as tall okay. and f- it's it's but- what I want to say is her descriptions early on are cartoonish. Yeah. Yeah. However, yeah. Bearing in mind that we are two British people. Okay. If you were walking around and you saw a fucking giant person, I just I just like look up at them and then look down immediately at the pavement like, "Oh no, I can't. I can't look at them." Exactly. Yeah. So, I I just want like it's the same with the description of the Dursleys. Oh, Petunia's neck is ridiculously long. Yeah, Mr. Dursley like, has a ridiculously large moustache. Yeah, like Petunia needs surgery. Yeah. Like that's not okay. She's describing them in a cartoonish way. She is. And, and, and that again, that, it's whimsical child book. It's very caricaturish. Yeah, because that gets less and less throughout the book. It does. By the final book, she's describing people as humans, normal humans. Look. But this first yeah. book, she's like, and Hagrid's feet were the size of baby dolphins. Baby dolphins? Look at your foot right now and then imagine a baby dolphin. <laughs> I won't lie, I've never been around many baby dolphins. So I don't have a lot of room for comparison. But I I feel like that's not proportionate. Like, if he's double the height, then he should have double the foot size. And I again, I'm really not an authority on baby dolphins, but I feel like that's not right. <laughs> okay. Um, my next point is about them leaving Harry on the doorstep. Do you have any notes before that? Are we about no, to No, 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 I have the same because the thing is, okay, so he Dumbledore leaves him. 
he leaves a tiny one-year-old baby on the doorstep. Yes. And can I just say that like, Dumbledore is anti-social goals. <laughs> he like just did not <laughs> want to have that conversation. So he's like, right, I'm just gonna like, you know, I'm just gonna leave this baby. Just on the doorstep. leave it. And, and no, I've written a letter. A letter's fine. Yeah. Can I make like, a point? It's the first of November. It's England. England, for anyone that doesn't know, first of November around midnight. It's we're a bit talking cold. about three degrees, probably three degrees Celsius, not Fahrenheit. Yeah. Um, a baby. If let's say he's leaving at midnight, Aunt Petunia wakes up at seven. Yeah. Baby would die. Baby would die. Baby would a hundred percent die. You cannot leave babies on doorsteps in November. Yeah. Um. I I was just more just bowled away by like what an antisocial icon he is. Like I can't say I would do any different. Like awkward conversation, no thanks. I'll, I'll leave, leave a letter. baby for twelve hours. And then also like I have a really important note, Hannah. When leaving your flat, what way does your front door open? <laughs> oh, it opens inwards, not outwards. But I know your point. Mine opens outwards. <laughs> I'm just, just saying oh, this I've... is a bit of a gamble. Oh, I've catapulted she... that baby yeah. outwards. Did he check the way the hinges were facing? <laughs> Probably not because it's Dumbledore. But I'm just saying she might have opened that door in the morning to get her milk just fucking punted <laughs> Harry across her garden. Oh, no, but Harry would have been dead because it's the 1st of November and he's a baby. <laughs> so he would be a frozen block of ice she's punching across her front <laughs> garden. A really different start to the Harry Potter books just from Petunia's And Harry Potter survived Voldemort but died from being left on a died, doorstep and yeah, then from punted Pinoia. by a door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, oh... Uh... Very different start to the books. And that's chapter one. That is basically chapter one. I, I hope Dumbledore cast a heating charm around him, but we're not told. Oh, I have one more There's point. many blankets. And to be honest, like, because I was so deliriously tired when I was reading yeah. this and there was a lot of references to like how swaddled in blankets he was. I was like, I'm really fucking jealous of this baby right now. <laughs> I have, it just sounded quite comfortable. I have one last point. It's the 1st of November and Dumbledore says he'll see McGonagall soon. That's midterm. It's Tuesday midterm so but, are we to believe that because of either that this whole year at hogwarts was cancelled due to mm. the threat of voldemort or they've all been let off for this week because they need to celebrate because voldemort's been defeated it's one of those two i would it? buy either i would buy like this essentially like a massive piss up after, yeah but i i they've feel sent the kids like, home because voldemort's been defeated I, yeah i feel yeah i feel at this point that hogwarts would not be running okay i, I just feel... wanted to confirm that with you because i'm like it's a tuesday in the first of november like term is meant to be a running yeah no i feel like very much at this point like it was mid-war like massive yeah. massive war yeah. like i feel like hogwarts was shut although hogwarts was never the most logical in that respect no okay we so... end to very quickly do chapter two because as i reread it i realized that not much happens fuck all happens so I what's have the chapter known. time vanishing glass so 10 years have passed and we get another kind of slow build-up reveal of what's going on. Um, you have literally one line of notes, so <laughs> I'll take over it. from Don't here. Don't read okay. it. So we get a slow reveal of what's going on. We also get a very slow reveal that Harry is in fact living in cupboard under the stairs. So mm -hmm. what I didn't realise is this isn't said in the first sentence. The first sen one of the first sentences relating to where Harry is says that Aunt Petunia knocked on the door. Her saying the door leads you to believe he's in a bedroom. But it's not until two paragraphs later that it says, Harry pulled a spider off his sock. There are a lot of spiders because Harry lived under the stairs. And I wanted to say that that's fucking sad. It's a bit sad. Yeah. It's just this kind of slow reveal of, 
and Harry's under the stairs. Here he is. It is the thing that you never realised as a child that, like, he's, like, being abused. And not, like, a little bit abused. Which but, like, also is not like, like, he's in a, an abusive household. Yeah. And I think this is one of the things I picked up on reading the chapter that I didn't make a note on. Mm. But, like, yeah, there's a lot of references to not only how he lived and how he dressed. Yeah. Like, a, appallingly and how he was treated and how he had no friends at school. And I'm like, did yeah. no one pick up? Like no other parents at was his there no primary authorities school, like, that picked this up? Because he but wasn't I'm like, being... just parents at the primary school. Like I'm sorry, like maybe it was a primary school I went to. It's quite a small primary school. Mm. Everyone was very hyper aware. Mm. If there was one kid that turned up, who was like treated like a prince and all new clothes and blah blah blah, and then his essentially his brother turned up wearing like mm. what Harry wore. Yeah, um, and one of the notes I made is just in cop- capitals. This is so sad because there's a point where harry says when he's at the zoo this is one of the happiest days he can remember by this point he's already been picked on by dudley he's already been talked as if he wasn't in the room but it's the happiest day he can remember because he got an ice lolly he's walking two feet behind the people he hates so they're not speaking to him and he got a half finished knickerbocker glory for lunch and this is one of the happiest days he can remember is that not one of the saddest things you've ever heard that this Mm. 10 year old this is the happiest day he can remember it is also like it is really sad but at the same time like he's a bit of an ungrateful dick because to me like (laughs) going and being in a house full of cats with Mrs. Yeah, when he's like, I don't want to go to the cat lady's house, I'm like, the cat lady's house sounds great, Harry. That's, that's my future, Harry. Please stop being ungrateful. Yeah. Like, yeah. goals. Yeah. Life goals. <laughs> yeah, and again, I had a question. Was Mrs. Fig a planned squib? What do you mean? Well, Mrs. Fig is a squib. Mrs. Yeah. Fig is mentioned in chapter one. Do you mean like she's planned to be there? Yes. I mean, that I it, think then, so. it then revealed in book five that she's a squib. She's been placed in a round privet drive to look out for Harry. Yeah. Was that planned? It or was. did she... did Jacob only just go, ah, I mentioned a Mrs. Fig, let's turn her oh, into okay. a character. okay, you mean from a writing point. That's yeah. one I'm not sure on. I think she pulled it out of her ass. Okay. I'm not sure on that one. I'm, I, not sure. I'm not sure, but I would say that that's like a, ooh, this would be good. Yeah. So, essentially, Harry goes to the zoo with the Dursleys. Um, it's described a lot how Harry's childhood is very miserable. There's not much positive going on. All the children bully him. He wears Dudley's hand-me-downs. It was sad. I read this as an adult, like, this is horrible. But then he's at the snake enclosure, snake tank. I don't... Snake place. Snake place. Snake home. And he starts talking to a snake and a snake blinks at him. And what I wanted to ask you is, do snakes have eyes? I've never paid a huge, huge amount of attention. Again, I'm going like, to Google, do like, snakes have Like the eyelids. baby dolphin thing. I mean, do I spent more time about around snakes than I have dolphins. Eyelids. snakes have no eyelids so when that snake winks at harry harry's fucking imagining it because he's so lonely and he creates a friend in the snake yeah okay great um that's done the glass disappears and this is one of those moments where the film and the book versions completely merge together for me um I think I listened to the book first but I was so young when Mm. both the film and the book came out that I still sometimes think when I read the book that Dudley's about to fall in and then the glass is going to reappear and then I'm like, no, that's only in the film, Hannah. Yeah, but like before this, like 
Harry has an entire fucking conversation with the snake. Mm. And like, this is the thing, I hadn't properly read this chapter in a long time. Mm. I've listened to it in audiobooks and I normally am kind of half asleep mm. and blah, blah, blah. Like, Harry doesn't remotely fucking question this conversation he has with the snake. Like, there's not even a moment where he's like, ha, that was weird. He just like has a full on conversation with the snake. Because he's snake that is, like, lonely. Pointing to things. No, but like, even if you're lonely as a kid, like, you question that like you've yes, just had a we, conversation with an animal and we he, we learn from oh. later books that harry questions and notices nothing harry is as observant and as questioning as a coffee table like no however like yeah but something that's always annoyed me and like i shouldn't really bring this out up until a couple of chapters time but it's relevant and it's a pet peeve the bit when he's in king's cross mm. and he says to the guard he's like no, no, no. Uh, sorry. So he's just got his ticket off Hagrid. And right. he's like, but Hagrid, there, there is, is no chapter nine, nine and three quarters. quarters. He is ten. There? He's ten. And ten. He's eleven, but fine. Eleven, whatever. Like, I did not know, like, train platforms. And also, the Dursleys never let him go anywhere. So how would exactly. he fucking know what a train and platform is? Exactly. They never let him go anywhere. And even if they did, it's not like his, it's his local train station it's king's cross in london he lives in surrey like he'll maybe have been there like a handful of times like maybe maybe but probably not because he never went anywhere like why at 11 years old would you know whether there's a platform nine or three quarters so in that instance he's like weirdly i'm always like no like i'm sorry an 11 year old would not know specifically that there's not a platform nine and three quarters not upon looking at a ticket maybe once he walked around he might fucking work it out okay but then it just doesn't add up. It's like, okay, so like he's not questioning that he's talking to a snake. Like, oh, no. He's, he questions things that are convenient for the plot. Mm-hmm. I've only got two more notes about this chapter. When they come back home, um, the Dursleys refuse to give him dinner because he, they believe he made the glass disappear. I've written, please feed children. They get hungry. You can't not feed your, chil- your, your, guard, your children that are in your care. I didn't know that. They don't feed him. There's points and it says... No, but I didn't know you had to feed children. Oh, yeah, you do. I thought it was like photosynthesis. No, they don't photosynthesize. And there's a point where he said he'd been locked in his cupboard without food for a week. And I'm kind of like... That's not great. Um, uh, Somebody really needs to call child services on this family because you and can't not feed like, children you just don't realize that when you read it yeah the and first harry says time. oh i like, sneak out when they go to bed and get food they don't know that like, like it's not the best parenting i've ever heard of it's also not the worst no but it's um, like again it's cartoonishly bad that's the thing yeah it's, it it's done cartoonishly yeah um that's basically all the notes i had i i finished it with that's a really sad chapter end what notes did you have no, no, seriously, my only chapter note was, like, why the fuck doesn't he question talking to a snake? Oh, okay. Like, one line would have done it for me, like, oh, Harry thought that was a bit peculiar, that he just talked to it. No, just doesn't question it. I mean, he then goes and lists all the peculiar things that have happened to him, which is, like, it's interesting because all the peculiar things that have happened to him are to avoid embarrassment, which I found interesting. So he's embarrassed that his hair's going to be cut. He's yeah. embarrassed that a jumper's going to be forced over his head. It's an... Again, it's this sprinkling of magic in. It's that thing it that is. you wish could happen as yeah, a child. Yeah, but like, I just really, no matter the weird things that have happened to him, like, you're having a conversation with a snake that's like essentially replying to you through mime. Mm. I feel like you should maybe question it. Okay. 
and that's where we're going to leave it. Um, we'll normally do maybe three to four chapters, but I feel yeah. like we wanted a lot more time to in get introduced and really dig into the the meat. I, d I shouldn't have said meat, meat of chapter mm. one, which is a weird chapter Yummy. looking back. It's yeah, it's a weird chapter, but a good. It it's the chapter that began my childhood. Yeah, and it's and very special. my later life because I've refused to progress. <laughs> but thank you so much for listening, yes. and uh, we will see you in the next podcast episode. Let's clink our glasses. Cheers. Bye, guys. Oh, that was a loud Ooh. cheers. Wow. May okay, let's cheers again. Thank you Love. for listening to this episode of Goblet of Wine. Make sure to subscribe on your preferred podcasting app to listen to new episodes every fortnight. You can also follow us on Twitter at Goblet of Wine to read our terrible social commentary on life. And we'll see you next episode. Bye! Bye.